0: down women with diluted dreams our hope for joy has been washed down the street i'm robin it hawkins and you're listening to watered Dice, down women hoping to be free found Throughout our lives, we've heard the saying, there are two sides to every story. And the meaning of this idiom is that one should listen to and try to understand both perspectives of the given situation. Another take on this old adage is that there are actually three sides to a story. Person A's account, Person B's account, And then the truth. Probably the earliest characterization of this phrase is stated in the book of Proverbs, chapter 18, verse 17, which states, The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. Another common precept is, Let the facts speak for themselves meaning that the facts of a particular situation will provide all of the necessary and accurate information that is needed to reveal the truth. In last week's episode, we discussed the case of a missing Richland County woman named Melinda K. Davis. A few hours after the airing of the episode, local authorities held a press conference to inform the community that Melinda's body was found in the trunk of her car. Although the news brought closure to the not knowing of her whereabouts, it also crushed any hopes that she would return safely to her family. In the coming weeks, we will learn more of the details about Melinda's kidnapping and cruel death, but we will have to wait for the truth to be revealed and allow the facts of the case to provide answers and to bring justice for Melinda. Watered Down Women delves into the tragic lives of many women and until we discuss the account of Melinda Davis, our victims have been 20th century women. Now you might ask exactly how long has this sort of thing been going on? So, just for today, let's step back in time even further and explore the origins of female victimization. Since the beginning of mankind's history, women have been the object of predators. Not long after her creation, Eve, the very first woman, was sought out by a predator who deceived her with a lie. And enticed her with the notion of gaining a godlike wisdom. After the serpent convinced her to eat the forbidden fruit, Eve gave it to her husband, who, according to the Bible, was with her. We really don't know if Adam was there the whole time, listening to and watching the interaction between his mate and the serpent or if he came upon them after Eve was deceived. But what we do know is that when God came to visit them in their garden home and asked Adam if he had eaten from the forbidden tree, Adam responded by saying, The woman whom you gave me gave me the fruit and I ate it. So not only did Adam throw Eve under the bus, he went so far as to blame God for creating the woman. Because of their sin, God cursed them both and told Eve, your desire shall be for your husband. And to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and sinned, I am cursing the ground and you'll have to toil and labor over it from now on. Some theologians have paraphrased this curse to mean women will have a tendency to try to dominate their husbands, and that men will have the tendency to act as tyrants over their wives. This all seems logical in light of today's relationship between some men and women. However, what is of greater interest to me is why the serpent approached Eve and not Adam. The Bible tells us that the serpent was more cunning or smarter than any beast of the field. And we know from studying historical battles that the enemy attacks the weakest point first. In 1 Peter chapter 3, husbands are instructed to honor their wives because they are weaker vessels. So from this, we can surmise that that Satan used Eve to get to Adam. And sadly, still today, women are often viewed as easy targets. Before returning to the 21st century, let's consider one other historical woman and see how she was treated by the society of her day. Some of you may know her story but others might not be familiar with her account. So let's take a look. It was early in the morning and class was being held inside the temple. While the teacher was giving instruction, a group of scribes who were knowledgeable of the law and could draw up legal documents and Pharisees, a Jewish sect that strictly upheld religious laws and believed themselves to be spiritually and morally superior to others. They entered the room and brought with them a woman who had been caught in the very act of adultery. So they threw her into the middle of the crowd and asked the teacher what they should do with her. And these scribes and Pharisees reminded the teacher that Moses, in the law, commanded that she should be stoned to death. But they wanted to trick the scholar into giving them the wrong answer. So the teacher, whose name was Jesus, stooped down and began drawing in the sand and eventually said, He who is without sin among you, let him throw the first stone. Then the men from oldest to youngest, went out one by one. When only the woman and Jesus remained, he asked her, Woman, where are your accusers? Who's left here to condemn you? She answered and said, No one. And then Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and send no more. What's most interesting about this sinful scenario is that a significant piece of the puzzle was missing. What was missing? Or, more accurately, who was missing? The woman's co-conspirator. He just might have been one of the very scribes or Pharisees pointing a finger and hurling accusations at the disgraced woman. His true identity will never be known, and all we do know is that he received protection from the other men, but the woman received forgiveness from the only man who mattered. In her book, Elijah, which chronicles the life and ministry of the prophet Elijah, author Priscilla Shire describes the condition of women in biblical times by stating the weakest, most vulnerable people on the socioeconomic ladder during Elijah's days were women. And she adds, but the marginalization that every woman experienced solely because of her gender was heightened even further if the woman happened to be unmarried and even worse if she were widowed. In biblical times, women worked primarily in the home And could not survive without a man, her husband, father, or son, to take care of her. So here we are today, over 2,000 years later. And to borrow a phrase from a previous episode, we've learned that the more things change, the more they stay the same. I'm not suggesting that a woman not be provided for or protected By the men in her life but i am saying that a woman should also be well equipped to provide for and to protect herself yes many women in the bible were victims but many were also victors i mentioned women who were deceived and exploited but let's not forget those who were significant conquerors mary was a teenager who was charged with the honor and responsibility of birthing the king of kings. Deborah, during the season of judges, was the only female to serve as judge during Israel's most tumultuous times. And Esther, she risked her life to save her people. What can we learn from a persecuted woman who lived thousands of years ago? Today, women continue to show great valor and bravery. But because times have changed, the picture of modern-day female courage looks quite different. According to Liat Baer, a writer for Successful Women of Israel, we can take away many valuable lessons from Esther's actions. The first lesson is initiative. Bear says an idea with no plan is meaningless, and a plan without the ability to take initiative is meaningless. Next is faith. She states that in order to believe that the impossible is possible, one must take a leap of faith. The third takeaway is courage. And Bear describes courage as the ability to accept the future through actions you take today. She adds that courage, like a muscle, is something we can build through use. In effect, she's saying the more we practice it, the more we'll be able to practice it. Her fourth point is the importance of having a mentor to provide assistance and give advice. Lastly, we learn from Esther the need to allow our values to drive our actions. And she describes this as being your unique self and letting it show. Don't be something you're not and don't allow a situation to change who you are inside. By now you're probably listening and thinking, what in the world does any of this have to do with the podcast about watered-down women? Trust me, I've had that very thought myself. And I realize that in a world where walk-in clinics are going up on nearly every single corner with pharmacies located across the street from them, we've become a society that is hurting physically, but also emotionally. As women, what does that mean for us? It means that we need to realize that we have an intrinsic value that is equal to men. And my belief is that we can and should implement that very principle today, in our own lives, in order to reach our fullest physical and mental potential. How will that look? How will we accomplish it? I'll share more details about that as this season progresses, but I will need input and feedback from you because my guess is that you've had similar thoughts. In the meantime, I'll continue to introduce you to the tragic lives of local women Who've been taken from us much too soon. And next week, we'll delve into the case of a woman whose life trajectory was fatally altered by a simple trip to the laundromat. Water down women, with diluted dreams of home full joy has been washed down the street. Grab a shovel and join me each Monday as we dig a little deeper and uncover the tragedies of watered-down women. In the cemetery, weekend in life, while searching for love, no pain in this world, with no help from above.